Hey, you are listening to Daily Discoveries, and this is Oscar. And this is Sanjana. This is the podcast where we discuss scientific articles weekly from the science section of the Daily. So this week, we're going to be talking about parasites. And there's an article in Scientific, Scientific American called The Scientists Fighting for Parasite Conservation. So it starts off with the author preparing dinner and she was cutting up a cod when she saw a small pink spot in her fish. She tried to remove it with her knife. Then she saw that the spot started to move and wiggle like a worm. She was surprised and before throwing it into the compost bin, she decided to take a picture and send it to Chelsea Wood who is a parasite ecologist at the University of Washington. Wood told her that it was a common nematode that can be found in fish and squid, and if consumed, would have caused abdominal pain, vomiting, diarrhea, and bloody stool. However, Wood was excited about the discovery, as it was a sign that the ecosystem the fish was from was healthy. It's quite an unusual way for her to respond. So this organism is a parasite and 40 to 50% of animal species are hosts for parasites. Parasites can include pathogens like bacteria and viruses, but many researchers that study parasites like wood focus on multicellular metazoans, which consist of 300,000 different types of worms that live in vertebrates. These parasites are very diverse and can live in up to five different hosts from egg to adult stage. Their ability to survive in many different environments made scientists very interested in studying it and learning more. However, parasites that harm humans are studied much more extensively than the ones that affect our ecological systems, which play a very important role in our environment, such as pest control. As animals become endangered, parasites are also at risk as they usually adapt to certain specific hosts. But it is difficult to convince policymakers to support parasite conservation. This is because of the negative connotations surrounding parasites. A study in 2011 found that 70 to 77% of conservation biology textbooks did not mention parasites or portrayed them as just harmful. Parasites are not being well studied enough for ecology, has made it difficult to determine the changes in parasite populations, even though the media tends to state that parasite populations are increasing due to humans. This is because people see parasites as harmful to the environment, and as they notice that the environment is not healthy as before, they assume that parasites are also posing a threat. To determine the actual changes in the population of parasites, Wood looked at the University of Washington's fish collection at the Burke Museum of Natural History, which had a basement with 13 million marine specimens that had been preserved for years. Many of these specimens also had parasites in them, and Wood decided to use the collection to bridge the gap in historical parasite population data. I thought this was really cool that, first of all, that this study was done at the University of Washington. I had no idea that we had a such a passionate parasitologist here at UW. Mm-hmm. And second of all, that this collection of old fish under the Burke Museum here at University of Washington, I did not know that existed. And that something like this, why, why something like this would be useful. But obviously Wood took advantage of this and they began to search for parasites in these old fish. So a uh, research tech in Wood's lab began searching for parasites in this massive old fish storage of sorts. And 
they were looking through a 41-year-old rockfish intestines. And this is because apparently rockfish are actually known to carry a lot of worms in them compared to relative to other fish. And Katie, the research tech, did find seven different species of parasite inside this old rockfish. And for the study, Wood decided to use eight different species of fish from the Puget Sound, which is local here in Seattle. And the fish actually dated back all the way to the 1880s. So I assume they were preserved in some sort of... And they said, they mentioned pickling later in the article, but I don't think that they're pickled. I want to say it's like um, formaldehyde or something like um, that. They said it was suspended in ethanol-filled jars. Very cool. Very and it's also the largest fish collection in North America. Yes, it is, which is quite amazing. <laughs> Uh, however, because it's the largest fish collection in North America, is what you said? Yeah. It obviously made it quite a tremendous effort to find all of these parasites. And also because they had to like use a microscope and look for them in the intestines, kind of dissect these fish one by one and pull out these parasites. But this wasn't even the most challenging part. After they actually found the parasite, they were left with the task of identifying this parasite. And this is obviously quite difficult because telling the parasites apart visually comes down to details such as the number of spines on the worm and other factors that I'm not really aware of because I'm not a huge... My knowledge in parasites is pretty low. And obviously, to be able to distinguish these different parasites, the person identifying and pulling out these parasites needs a very strong taxonomical expertise that is knowing all of the different species of parasites that they may come across from fish in this region. And after some time, Woods Lab actually published data on their findings on a specific species of fish, the English sole, ranging from the 1930s to the 2019. And what they found was that 2,500 different species of parasites from a whopping 23 different taxa. Yeah, that is the amount of parasites that they found in just the English soul. And 12 of these taxa, which were identified, were actually prevalent enough that they could actually analyze the population trends of these parasites. And of the 12 taxa that were numerous, uh, nine remained the same population-wise. So the population remained stagnant since the 1930s. And two actually decreased in population, and one increased. And why is this important? Well, this is what Woods Group does. They kind of analyze the population trends of these parasites. And in other findings, they found that another parasite called a nematode, which is a bloodworm, you know, grimy, gross, um, it increased in its population by 800% over 86 years. So this data really shows the importance of these pickled fish jars, as they said, but I guess it's ethanol, which is a type of, that's how you pickle things, ethanol? I don't know, I'm not an expert pickler myself, but anyways, <laughs> this data suggests that, so just how the changes in environment had an impact on these parasite populations. And it was actually opposite to what most scientists predicted because they predicted that parasites do well in all conditions and they prevail when when species go extinct and we're just going to be left with parasites everywhere but 
actually, not all species of parasites do well under environmental stress. And so some populations decrease in size. And Woods Group doesn't only use museums, hidden treasure, to scavenge for old parasites, but they also use data from one-off studies to identify patterns and make predictions of changing parasite populations. They recently published a paper on two types of parasites found in edible raw fish, such as ceviche and sushi. So this is probably not what sushi lovers wants to hear, but one of these parasite populations underwent a 283-fold increase in population size since only the 1970s, so 50 years. They have grown tremendously. And in humans, the parasite can lead to a bad case of diarrhea or vomiting, so not very pleasant. But Wood isn't actually concerned about this impact on humans. She's concerned about the marine life that is impacted. The problem is that parasites suck energy out of its host at small levels, and it usually does not really cause a problem for the marine host, or whatever host it is. But at an enormous scale that we're seeing with this uh, nematode, or what was it called? Or seeing with this, uh, whatever, this sushi parasite, is that they are at such a large scale that they can actually have an impact on this species, especially if this species is already struggling due to other factors. So one group of marine animals that Wood is concerned about is the Seattle Puget Sound's local pod of endangered orca, or killer whales, that are already struggling due to pollution, cargo ship noise pollution, and the decrease of Chinook salmon available for them to munch on. So all of these stressors with added stressors of tons of parasites may endanger them. There was evidence of this when a weak orca calf in 2018 was identified. They tried to save it, but they weren't able to. After it passed away, they looked into it and found that it had abnormally large amounts of this sushi parasite. Obviously, this is probably not what actually caused the death, but it most likely made an already difficult life of an orca here in the Puget Sound quite difficult. So what doctorate students in the Wood Lab are working on is, on is getting data to see if parasite populations in orca have indeed increased over the last decades. The data that they collect is that they use a sniffer dog on boats to find whale poop, and they analyze that for hormones, parasites, and the diet that the orca is eating, whatever the orca is eating. Where this whale poop is coming from on boats, I have no idea. They did not mention, but that is um, research for another day. And so if they find an increase in these parasite populations in the evidence that they collect or in the data that they collect, they can begin to treat the orca by hiding medicine in the salmon, kind of how you feed a dog a pill with embedding it in peanut butter or whatever or they could actually use darts to directly give uh, medicine to these orcas. So kind of treating them and making them more immune to these parasites that could possibly make, be making life more difficult for these orcas. And another industry actually impacted here locally in the Puget Sound is the oyster industry. I didn't know this, but the Puget Sound is very famous for its oysters. And it makes sense because there's a lot of seafood around here but it is actually the U.S. largest producer of farmed oysters, which is pr 
pretty incredible. So there's this parasite called the Polydora, which is not harmful to humans or oysters necessarily, but they kind of dig holes through the shells. Like they make these like, you know, the classic worm channels that you see in um, wood, for example. They make this in the shell of the oyster and it's not very appetizing when you see that the, these canals or holes in the oyster that is now on your plate and you're getting ready to eat it. So this is impacting the local restaurant industry. And this parasite specifically has actually plagued regions in Australia, Hawaii, the East Coast of the United States, but has long spared the Pacific Northwest. But now they are here and they are affecting this industry. But parasites, as gross and as harmful as they sound, are actually beneficial to ecosystems in many ways. But this is not mentioned enough, and the increase in parasite populations already gets a lot of attention because of this negative connotation that Sanjana mentioned earlier about parasites, because obviously people think of worms and they get all squirmy and blood worms, it just doesn't sound like fun stuff. But this is what why Wood is focusing on the decreasing populations of parasites, and why this decrease of some species may be bad. Classic example of a parasite being important is the Euhaplorchis californianus. That's probably not how you pronounce it, but that is my best attempt. And it begins its life, uh, its life cycle in a water snail that gets eaten by a California killifish. These fish are then eaten by birds like the heron or the egret, and they become, and this bird becomes the final destination for this flatworm. However, killifish like to hide, but this goes against what this flatworm wants. This flatworm wants to go to its next host, which is the bird. But the worm has a solution for this. So they actually create a cyst in the fish's brain, causing the fish to flop around around the surface of the water, flashing its bright belly, which quickly attracts the birds. And that is how this parasite travels to his next host, and it actually helps the ecosystem because most of the fish that are getting getting eaten by these birds, or feeding these birds, almost all of them are infected with this parasite. So it's, it's keeping this ecosystem alive. And another example of this is a 15-inch long parasite worm found in Japan that causes its cricket host to dive into the water in a sort of suicide. And this allows the worm to free itself and mate with tons of other previously cricket-driving parasites. This sacrifice provides food for the endangered Japanese charfish. So this also is a main food source for these charfish, and it also stops these charfish from predating on other fish populations in the ecosystem and overall benefits the whole ecosystem. So this parasite is kind of a key species of this ecosystem. It shows that what Wood thinks is very important, that conservation is actually something we need to implement for parasites. However, what Wood is trying to prove is that we can't conserve these parasites without knowing much about the different species of parasites. So a researcher from Georgetown and a couple other researchers, including Wood from the University of Washington, they got together and decided that they would uncover 50% of parasite species by 2030 so that they would have a better understanding of how to conserve them. 
overall, uh, the moral of the story is that, or the moral of Wood's story is that she wants people to understand the importance of parasites and not only look at them negatively. I didn't realize how important parasites were to ecology. Mostly we just talk about, in bio biology or other classes, we usually talk about how parasites can hurt us or hurt the host, but we never talk about its role in the ecosystem, so that was very interesting. Yes, I, I totally agree. I think the way that a lot of science courses teach parasites is that they, they have a host that they kind of suck the life out of and that they don't really have a, a life of their own and they're not benefiting anyone in any way. They're just kind of there in the way for everyone. But what Wood's research shows is that they're actually beneficial in a lot of ways. Actually, I have learned about this tumor or this uh, cyst-inducing um, parasite for the fish. I did learn that. I want to say it by 180. <laughs> Either way, it's, I think it's pretty rare that teachers do teach this um, kind of stuff. And I think it's really cool that there's a lab here at UW doing this um, really important work. Would you work in, the, in Wood's lab dissecting old fish? To look for parasites? I don't know if that interests me. I mean, I think the research is interesting. I don't know if I would specifically want to do that research. I would probably read like the paper and look at the results. Right. What about you? I wonder. I feel like that sounds pretty cool to be able to. I mean, I think obviously because there's so many fish that they have to look like and or look at, and so many parasites they have to dig for, and so much data they have to collect that it probably becomes pretty repetitive work. But I think it's it's, it's like they're using a time machine to look back in time at these old fish from hundred not hundreds, but over a hundred years ago that had parasites that I assume they're not alive, but they're still able to collect data from yeah. these parasites that are embedded in these old ancient fish. Yeah, they had 13 million marine species, but then they mentioned that there's multiple parasites on all the fishes, so there's tens of millions of parasites they could find from those samples. Right, right. And that just shows you how large of a impact parasites can have. If, they're, if we have this huge collection of fish, but in reality it's a huge collection of parasites that has some fish in it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. I, th I just think it's, it's amazing stuff. What about like doing the field research? Would you do that stuff where you... You go out sniffing for whale poop? No. no not, not, I don't know not if that field, interests me. Not a field research person? Are you a field research person? I don't know. I haven't really tried it to that much, to that extent. So I don't know. But I think ecology is it's, it's very important. And I think it's something that's pretty large here at UW. But I know globally it's not really a huge field. Yeah, I think in terms of like environmental or like conservation biology, what's more important is the inter like interweaving like conservation biology with technology because we usually look for solutions within the field of technology to solve these conservation problems like we've talked about before in like terms of global warming and climate change so i think that's where most of the research funding is going into mm -hmm. is a technology aspect of this rather than the field research yeah I think it's amazing how they're able to collect so much data. Um, yeah. And they're using, yeah. I don't know how they did it. Right? <laughs> yeah. And also, how do you come up with that? I mean, I don't know. I guess you find out about this reserve of tons of fish. And as a parasitologist, the first thing you think of is 
that, well, wow, there must be tons of parasites in here. Obviously, no one else would really think that. But I wonder if there's other research that is being done on these, because I mean, there must be tons of stuff you can do with these fish. Like, look for old bacteria. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You can do tons of ecology research of that sort. But then I also think, like, aren't these fish supposed to be preserved? Are they, like, because, I mean, they're old fish, and they're, now they're pulling them out of jars and dissecting them. And they mentioned putting them back in the jars along with their intestines, but they've kind of dissected it, and I don't know. I don't know what they were doing. Are they just keeping this? I don't know what they were doing the specimens. Like, why did they just store them in the basement? In the first place? Yeah. Well, before something like this, I assume. No, or it... because when Wood first approached them, they were super hesitant about letting her like use them. Right. But she had to convince them to let Because there must be some sort of purpose yeah. for them keeping them. It's like... If I asked the Burke Museum to use their dinosaur bones to look for, I don't know, bacteria in them or whatever, they would obviously, you know what I mean? Obviously, this is not as rare as a dinosaur bone, but... I mean, yeah, they're not displaying it, so... Yeah. Yeah. But they must have some purpose, so they can't just, like... There must be... I don't know. Maybe it's for, like, mapping ecosystems based on... or. Uh, evolution based on phenotypes they just study the fish yeah what they look yeah i don't know it could be ton- they could count tons of different that stuff but i think it is in the name of science mm-hmm. in the burke museum because they're a museum they keep old yeah. stuff i guess that also makes me wonder what other old stuff they store at the burke museum mm-hmm. if it's they've millions of fish they must have millions of other stuff too yeah i don't know i would love to go roaming around down in that basement and looking for different old animals from the 1800s. <laughs> I've, I've never actually visited the Burke, have you? I haven't. I probably would like to. I would love sometime. to go. It's free for us. Yeah. And it's a, I mean, it's a quite impressive museum. I've heard, at least. Maybe I'll go before the quarter ends. I think, yeah, yeah. I think I want to as well. I actually know someone who, she works at the Burke because she's a, what's uh, it archaeology major. Mm-hmm. Which is like, you know, you yeah. find old stuff. Mm-hmm. So she works there, and, and I believe she does, like, work for them, too. Or, like, you know, field work and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. And I believe they even have some sort of class. Like, a, they have some classes that are associated with the Burke. Maybe. They might be have, they have, like, classes that are linked to... Maybe you visit, like, the Burke Museum and do research on specific exhibits or something like that. Yeah, or learn about dinosaurs. That too, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just a field trip to the Berkeley's. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't complain. Anyways, I guess that's our sign to go visit the Burke. Okay, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to Daily Discoveries.